I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5 this evening. I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. Matthew 5, verse 17, the words of our Lord. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Our Father, we do pray the words that we have just sung, that you would grant to us to understand the truth of your word, for you are love, and you love that your people would enjoy the word, would obey the word, would walk in it, that truth. But Father, we cannot unless you help us, unless you guide us into that truth by the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would do that. We ask that we would be attentive to the teaching of the scriptures and that you would use it to build up your church for the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Matthew seems to assert in this passage that there is a comprehensive fulfillment of the Mosaic Law by Jesus Christ. There are those who believe that there is only continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In other words, that Christ came simply to point us to continue in the law. And certainly, there is an abiding validity to the law in this passage. Do not think that I came to abolish. I did not come to abolish, he says in verse 17. In verse 18, he says, there is that, that truth that will be valid until earth, heaven and earth pass away. That the law will continue until it is all accomplished. So there is that continuity in that meaning. But there is also, I believe, a discontinuity that Jesus is leading us to understand here because he uses the word fulfillment. And he's used it already, uh, at least um, Matthew has used that word in relating to us the events in chapters 1 through 4. He's used the word fulfillment already five times and uses it again here. And there is a predominance or a feature that it, it prominently exhibits the idea of fulfillment. Something is different. Something is new. Something has changed using that word. I have titled this summer evening series, The Challenge of the Law. And briefly, we have said that the challenge of the law is interpreting Moses in the light of Christ. Interpreting the law of Moses given in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of our English Bibles, 
in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to review a little bit before we look further at Matthew, just want to reiterate that I believe that Christ is the key to unlocking the Old Testament. His, he is the Word to us. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John speaks of Christ. He is the key to hearing the Old Testament. Christ, I believe, is in fact not only the Word, but the focus of the Old Testament. It points to Him, it speaks of Him, it pictures Him, it prefigures what he would do and who he would be. And we know the great excitement that the men on the day of Jesus' resurrection, that they felt when, when Jesus, as Luke tells us in Luke 24, that he, in the beginning, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And I believe I said a few weeks ago that uh, Martin Luther had said, you know, that he could find Christ on every page of the scriptures, and I couldn't go there with him. But I think in the intervening weeks, I've realized that perhaps I do not know, do not know Christ as Luther knew Christ. As I study, as I see, as truly as the scriptures say, the unfolding of thy word gives light. We need to look and see that Jesus was simply helping us understand that He is the focus of the Old Testament. Do we look for Him? But I believe that Christ is the one who establishes a communion with us in His Word. It's not simply the academics of now we know that the temple is like Christ in this and this Furniture is like Christ in this and this. And we can be very academic in that. But in John chapter 14, he says to us, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. In another version it reads, And I will manifest myself to him. So if we become academic, if we become just those who, who, who want to be able to link, as one of the authors says, mechanically link the, the things of the Old Testament to the New and Christ, we are no better off than the one who does not even believe in Him. Now I realize that in the next two weeks that we gather together, I will need to define the word fulfill. What does Christ mean when he says, I came to fulfill? But I would like to begin this evening as kind of part one to that is to look at the background, to look at the, what do we call it these days, the backstory that Matthew has brought us to before we see Christ preaching the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Matthew does use that formula, that idea of fulfillment in chapters 1 through 4 to show that all the promises concerning the Messiah are met in Jesus. In Matthew 1, verse 22, we read the words just after 
Joseph, it had been explained to Joseph that he needs to take care of Mary, that he needs to follow through. And, and the angel is about to quote from Isaiah. But Matthew tells us, Now all of this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. There are those parallelisms that we see in Matthew 1 through 4 to the nation of Israel and how God dealt with them. And here we see the, the fulfillment through Matthew is that Emmanuel has come, God with us, as God came to them and made his presence known to them in the cloud and the pillar of fire, the true one has come. And we see that he takes us back in another word of fulfillment to where we, we read the words from Hosea, out of Egypt have I called my son. Well, here is the true son being called out of Egypt as we read in the narrative of Matthew. Do you see how the, the parallelism between the narratives of the Exodus event that follow with the narrative that we see in the Christ event? Christ has come to be with them. He's come to lead them. He's come to deliver them as God did the children of Israel. But we also see in Matthew 1 through 4 that Jesus in his sinlessness identifies with Israel in its sinfulness. When John protests that that. At Jesus' request that he be baptized by John, he says, and I don't want to administer that to you. But Jesus answers to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. See, here's our link between the, the justice and righteousness of God Almighty, God the Father, and the justice and righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And I know that I can't explain this fully, but it, it, it is when he says to fulfill all righteousness, it is not simply that the actions of Jesus are right or righteous. It means much more than that. It signals that Jesus is fulfilling all the requirements of the law, conforming to its demands, the demands of that relationship with Almighty God and the expectations that were laid on all human beings. And so, yes, his actions are righteous, but I think it also announces that he is the one who will save unrighteous people by his own righteousness. But also we see in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus' proclamation sweeps into view all of the Old Testament. He, he, he declares as he began to preach in Matthew 4, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's rule, God's kingship, God's wise leading of his people, God's salvation are on display now in Jesus Christ. And the significance of the various aspects of his ministry dovetail with the Old Testament narrative in, that we see in the Torah. We see these events that Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. So again, we see in the words of Vern Porthris. He says, quote, The details do not indicate merely a slavish 
one-to-one mechanical matching. Rather, they anchor and confirm the magnitude of the massive global theological connection. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Christ is the one who proclaims and brings that to fruition, the requirements of a righteous God. But then if we move on in Matthew, we come to chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount in which this uh, passage that we read at the beginning resides in chapter 5. And again, we see parallels here. I don't want to make too much of it, but in Exodus chapter 19 is kind of where the narrative part of the Pentateuch kind of segues into what's called the, the legal part, the didactic part, the play, place where he's beginning to explain the law. And how do we see that beginning? God on Mount Sinai giving the law to Moses. And here Jesus speaks from the mountain to his own people. Jesus begins with blessings. God began speaking to Moses with threats. But there is a connection here. For example, Exodus 19, verse 12 and following, we read God saying these things to Moses. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, he he begins. And later on he says, go down. Warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. But what do we read on the flip side of that in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? The blessings, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There, there is a change here. There is something new here. There is a different perspective here that Jesus is bringing. Matthew 5 does seem to me to be a a kind of a new kind of giving of the law. God spoke through Moses as the mediator. But now, if I could paraphrase from the writer to the Hebrews, but now God has spoken to us through his Son. The disciples in Matthew 5 are depicted as those who ought to be salt and light. And Israel was to have been a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, there's the continuity. There is the same attitude. And I see here a re-emphasis of focus on the issues of the heart. It has been said that the law predominantly looks at the externals, the, the outward manifestation of behavior. Jesus predominantly points us to the inward heart, into the being of man. And yet the intention, the motives, the attitudes are on both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. A separation from unrighteous behavior to righteousness. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, we read God saying to them, Circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no more. Jesus, as the new Moses, rattled more than a few cages 
with his teaching and his preaching. In Matthew 7, he says, or we learn from Matthew, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these words, when he had finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, when he had finished the discourse on the wise man who built his house on the rock, it says that the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. What an absolute authority and originality Christ brought to the discussion and the proclamation of himself and of God from the Old Testament. The authority and originality in handling the absolute and immovable truth of the Word of God. Something new has come, and even the scribes and Pharisees themselves, along with the multitudes, were amazed at his authority and the way he handled the Scriptures. The law points to Christ, and Christ fulfills the law. Christ's life, his ministry, his teaching, even his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, explicate the law. And I had to look that word up to see, is it simply an explanation? Literally, the word explicate means to unfold. I think of the psalmist when he says, the unfolding of thy word gives light. Christ explicates the law to us. He not only explains it, but he gives the implications of it. He gives the fulfillment of it. He shows us the justice and righteousness of the law. Christ's fulfillment of the law must be seen as something new and something greater. We read further in Matthew, beyond the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 12. They came to Jesus and they complained about his disciples. Behold, they said, your disciples do what, do what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus went on to say, hey, when you read about David and what his men did, when you read about the Sabbath day, when you read about the temple, what do you see there? The focus that Jesus is bringing to us is not on the law, but on himself, on Christ, as the fulfillment of that law. And we, we hear Jesus saying, someone, is, someone greater than David is now here. Something greater than the temple is now here. Something better Something unique beyond the Sabbath is here. For he is described in that passage in Matthew 12 as the Lord of the Sabbath. Sure, the temple must be understood, but it must be understood in the light of Jesus, not vice versa. The temple would be destroyed within one generation of when Jesus spoke, we see that it no longer would have that central role in the life of believers. There is something greater than the temple, someone greater than David, 
something beyond, pointing the Sabbath, pointing to Jesus, because the Sabbath is fulfilled even by him. And so we read in several passages, the, I think the attitude that we ought to have as we look at the law in the light of Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, we read, and to me it's kind of this in, in, enigmatic passage because I, I don't understand sowing and I don't understand wine. But he says, But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. I don't think he's only speaking of how to run a vineyard. He, I think, is helping us understand there is the old and there is the new and there is a way to handle them so that both are preserved because they are the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for His people. We ought to be wise and rightly relate the old to the new. As the wise servant in Matthew 13, Jesus says to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. And so as we learn to rightly relate the old to the new, we need to learn how to handle the shadow things to the reality. The figures and symbols and type to the greater and more glorious antitype. The law of Moses and all of its wonder to the glorious, wonderful person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do again ask that you would guide us into all the truth, that we may learn how to meditate upon these things. We may learn how to seek Christ in the, all of the scriptures, that we may worship him, that we may learn at his feet, may, we may glorify him with our lives. And Father, we ask again that you would build your church, that you would strengthen her, that you would make her glorious for that great getting up morning when Christ will return and he will draw his bride to himself. We ask that you would do this, not for our sake, not for our glory, but for yours. In Christ's name we pray.